Today's a little different. Um, the way that we have it laid out, we're, we're kind of going to do this, this sermon, and you're going to get to hear from me, get to, then you're going to get to hear from uh, Kyle, and then you're going to get to hear from our wives also. So uh, it's just, we just a whole mess of people that wanted to preach this morning, so it's good. Um, if you have notes, uh, grab them out. If you have your Bible, take it out. If you don't have notes and you need them, put your hand up, and one of our hosts will get some notes to you. Just keep your hand up. Um, they'll, uh, they'll grab those, and uh, Carl's on it right now. Um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get started here. Lord, thank you, God, for this day, this new day you've made. God, we believe that your mercies are new today, just like they were new yesterday, and they'll be new tomorrow. So, Father, have mercy on us, Lord, as we, as we joyfully and with great anticipation open your word, God, to hear what you would speak to us today, God. Father, as each time that we open your word, we want to leave change. We don't, don't want to open your word and then, and then go, well, that was the same. Uh, Father, that, that, you will, that you will ignite new revelation, God, in our hearts and minds, God, so that today, in, in today's context, so that we have better marriages, so that we're better husbands, better wives, Lord, but then also, Lord, for those of us that aren't married yet, so that we can seek out our future spouse with the right type of focus, with the right types of desires in our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen. That's perfect right there. Thank you. All right. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. One of my uh, favorite verses as we get started here, Proverbs 18, 22 says, uh, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? And receives favor from the Lord. I love that verse. I found a wife. I found a good thing. I know it. She knows it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is part of our uh, practical series that we've been in here. Pastor Glenn started a series several weeks ago called Practical Christianity. How do we practically in day-to-day life live out the different things that we're called to live to or, or live in and walk in? And today is practical husbanding. Um, but ladies, it, this, there's so much in it for the, for the wives and for, uh, for young men and young women who aren't, who aren't married yet either. So uh, I love that. Um, but we're going to get right into it, especially just for the sake of time here. So the question we want to answer is how can we as husbands um, practically work out our role as husbands in the way that God's called us to do it, biblically in a way that, that is uh, acceptable in his sight uh, and in our, on our spouse's sight. So we have four points there in your notes, and the first two I'm going to get to talk about. And the first one is, is nourish. We can nourish our wives. Okay, so in Ephesians 5, I'm going, to read, um, I'm going to read verses 25 through 29, and we're going to center in on 29. So it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. Here it is, 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Amen? First Timothy 5.8, it says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
bam. So you guys know that in the, in the context, the context of this verse, this, this is actually meant to be offensive because, you know, it is. It, it, when it, when Paul's writing here, or I'm sorry, this conversation that's taking place here, uh, it would have been bad to be labeled an unbeliever. Very, very bad. So when he says, when you do this, you're actually considered worse than an unbeliever. That's like supposed to get your attention. So uh, anyways, but I, I, love, I love the priority that's listed here in this verse. You have to provide for your relatives. And especially in the culture where this was written, uh, you know, children knew that it was their duty to take care of their widowed mother. Period. It wasn't like you had to teach it. There was, you know, there was your duty. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot more uh, familial taking people in that that needed help would just come and live with you, especially the children taking care of their aging parents. But it says, and especially for your own household, meaning your wife and your kids. Uh, and so I, I I love that. There's there's critical importance placed on this. So in Ephesians five twenty nine. Uh, Ephesians 5.29, it says, uh, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ says the church. So one way that we can nourish our wives, husbands, is by lovingly providing for her physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. We all know, and if you don't know, please write this down, God is ultimately your provider, okay? It's not in your notes, so if you need to put it there, please put it there. God, and, and I needed to put it there several years ago. Is I, you know, I, I grew up with a great example of a, as, uh, of a father as a provider, but I misunderstood it to be that he was the one providing for us, and that's where it stopped. He didn't think that. He knew God was our provider, uh, but I, I, and so I, when I first got married, I started going, well, I'm the provider, and the Lord was like, mm-hmm, you are. But, and then I learned and went, oh, geez. And you're a lot, it's a lot happier when you're, when you're living in right alignment right there uh, with the Lord. So, but lovingly providing for her physical, emotional, and spiritual needs and even her wants. Okay? So every husband who's physically able should be providing for their family. And we know that uh, God's ultimately the provider. Uh, physical needs would be food, water, shelter, right? I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of obvious. You just provide for the things that her body needs to survive. So um, takes money to buy that kind of stuff, and it's one of the reasons we work. Emotional needs. Are much more complex. So you get married and you're like, man, I can provide a nice house, I can provide great food, I can provide all the water she wants to drink, I can even provide anything else that she wants to drink. And then you're like, she's like, what about my emotional needs? And you're like, well, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> Don't you have girlfriends that can help? No, 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 no. This is, this is a, a husband's role. They consist of things like making her feel safe, loved, cared for, heard, understood, happy, etc. It takes huge, everybody say huge. huge. Huge amount of effort and time to properly nourish your wife emotionally. It will be something that you continue learning how to do for the lifetime of your marriage. Should be something that you continue to learn how to do for the lifetime of your marriage. If you master it early on, please write a book. <laughs> but in that same vein, practically speaking, one of the ways that we can, and we'll touch on this a little bit later also, but. One of the ways that we can practically learn to nourish our wives emotionally in a way that's really effective 
is by learning from those who have gone before us, who know more than us. So we learn primarily from Scripture, but then we learn also from, so I'm speaking to the husbands here, we learn from, from men who have been married longer than us who are better at it than we are. Maybe it's learning from men that have been married a shorter time than you that are better at it than you are. Virginia's sitting over there giving him the elbow. Yeah, right in the jaw. That's good. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. But practically speaking, it's, it's learning. It's learning not just, not just from the Holy Spirit himself in your prayer time and in your time in the Word, but it's, learning, it's, it's taking a humble approach and saying, I don't know everything that I need to know. Please help me. I do it often. Kaylee and I do it together. One of the other critical ways that you can learn, and Kaylee's going to touch on this probably a little later, is that you, you have to ask your wife for feedback on how she needs to be provided for emotionally. And you have to take the feedback, men. And women, wives, you have to give the feedback in a respectful and loving and patient way. That's just practically speaking. This is just the nuts and bolts of providing for these needs. The third type of need is spiritual needs. So it's going to consist a lot about what Kyle's about to talk about, so I won't go into it. But one of the greatest pieces of advice that's ever given to me by, by Charles Patterson. Right? He's a great mentor and friend. And he said, he said, Nate, you can only give what you can't give away what you don't have. So he said, he said, the best way to care for your wife and your kids spiritually is to keep yourself spiritually healthy. And so one of the greatest ways that we can practically meet the spiritual needs of our wives is by making sure that we are meeting our own spiritual needs, keeping ourselves healthy before the Lord, because you cannot be unhealthy before the Lord and be a good spiritual leader in your household. You cannot. You can try. I've tried. We've probably all been there. But, and, and thank God for his grace that pulls us out of those, those terrible seasons of disconnectedness. But it, it only works. We can only, we can only help lead others into connectivity and intimacy with him when we ourselves are connected with him. The second way that we can uh, lead our wives well is by cherishing them. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. Guys, we got we to gotta know what we have or who we have. And give thanks daily for her. Okay, what you have is a wife. Who you have is, I have Kaylee. You have Brooke. You know, you have Sarah. So you, you know who you have. You realize that, that your wife is a gift. You realize that, that actually the, the expression of love and, and the cherishing the example that we have is Christ dying for his church. That's the, that's the amount of weight that's placed on that, on that sacred and cherished relationship of husband and wife. As husbands, you need to love your wife just like Christ loved you. Now listen, it is really easy. There's no, there's no husband in this room. I'm pretty sure I know almost all of you, the husbands. There's no husband in this room who wouldn't die for their wife right now. Gun to the head, you or your wife, me. That's easy. But that's actually only a very small part of what he's referring to here. What he's referring to is actually dying daily 
to yourself and to your own wants, to your own desires, to your own, well, it's easy. This is the way I've always done it, so this is the way I'm going to keep doing it. That was a conversation you had in your first year of marriage, <laughs> which hopefully you got past. But, I, but you, you, see, you see what I'm saying? It's easy to make that one-time decision of life and death for your There's no man in here that wouldn't do it. It's the ultimate expression of love that, to lay down one's life for a friend. But to wake up every morning and go, I'm dying to myself today. How can I serve you, hon? I'm dying to myself today. I died to myself yesterday. Yeah, you'll die to yourself tomorrow. Because it's the daily dying to self, and that is where the rubber meets the road. Genesis 2.24, in the King James Version, the pure word, says... <laughs> Sorry, I always make that joke. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Cleave is a cool word. I met a guy named Cleave one time. Really cool. Um, but cleave is what's called an autoantonym. Okay, so it's a word that means its own opposite also, like dust, right? So du you can like dust powdered sugar on a cake, but you can also, when you're dusting, you're cleaning dust away. It's an autoantonym. So cleave actually means to separate almost at the atomic level. It means to separate, but it also means to bind together in an inseparable way. So when, when we see this here in Genesis 2.24, he's talking about I made, made uh, I created man, male and female, he created him in his image. And he says, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. So I love this verse. And I'm going to give you a little visual here as to close this up as what this means. This word is, is actually talking about a relationship that is meant to be separated, the relationship between a, a son and, and his parents, okay, especially in this culture. So you're, you grow up, you become a man, and you are supposed to leave, right? Some people don't get the message, but, but, the, but, but you're supposed to leave and then go be, that you're supposed to be bound or, or you're supposed to cleave to your wife. So the, the picture is leave a relationship that you're meant to leave and then be bound to one that you are never intended to be unbound from. That's, that's the picture. Okay, how many of you guys know, a few of you I know do this. I worked with, I'm a woodworker, okay? A glued joint, a properly glued joint in wood is stronger than the wood. Did you know that? Did you know if you glue two pieces of wood together properly, I actually went to like a glue school, super dorky. Nobody here has been to that except for me. But, but it was seriously like a, it, because you had to learn about all the different glues and applications. You have to learn about humidity and, and moisture levels in wood. And you have to learn about clamp pressure and pounds per square inch and all these things. But if you, if you do it right, you realize that when you glue wood together, that joint can't come apart again unless you cut it on the glue joint and actually remove the joint itself. Here's, I did this last night. You get to see if I glued it the right way. These are two pieces of wood, right? It's two pieces of wood, right? This isn't a magic trick, just to make, just to make sure. It's two pieces of wood. I glued it together just with some tight bond, and, uh, and I'm going to break it in front of you and show you, that, that, and we're going to get to my point here. Just a sec, watch. When you glue it together properly, you'll never break it on the glue joint. So God says, God says, I'm actually going to put you in a, in a, in the type of relationship with a, with a wife, with a woman 
where it will be bound at the atomic level. But even deeper than that, it's the spiritual level, right? And so the point here in cherishing is that we need to realize that God hasn't just said, hey, go out and pick a wife and it'll be fun. And it'll be, you know, it's not this, this sort of lighthearted assignment that he's actually said, this is an inseparable thing that glorifies me and actually pictures your relationship with me. So as we cherish our wives, we need to know what we have and who we've been bound together with and that that person Christ died for just like, they, just like he died for you. All right? Okay, I'm going to bring Kyle up, and uh, he's going to do the next two points, and then you'll get to hear from our wives as well. Give it up for Nate. I was joking with Nate that I was going to body slam him as, like, the, the handoff. I had a... My best friend's uncle is like this spirit-filled evangelist preacher. He goes all, all across the world. And he was in a meeting one time, like in Amarillo, Texas, doing a revival meeting. And he was up on the platform. This has nothing to do with husbanding, by the way. Um, but he was up on the platform, and there was this big, burly, like 6'4", Texan, big belt buckle, walked in the back of the room. And this evangelist, my friend's uncle, he looked at him. And he heard the Holy Spirit tell him to body slam him, to go back after the service was over and actually tackle him and body slam him. It's crazy. And that why would a pastor ever body slam you? Well, this 6'4 Texan walked in the room and he was doubting God. He was doubting God's existence. Things were happening in his life. And he said, he told God in his heart, he said, if you're real God, have that pastor up there. I don't know his name. Have him come and tackle me, body slam me promise. So the pastor comes up. I'm getting chills. He jumped, body slammed in the 6'4 Texan, just hits the floor. He's out under the power of God, under the spirit of God for four hours. Completely like it. And the, the pastor's like, oh, did I kill him? Did I kill him? <laughs> That'd be the end of his ministry. He'd go to prison, but at least he obeyed the Lord. Um, but he wakes up and he's completely healed of his unbelief. And he knows that God's real and just completely different. So it changed his life. So I did not body slam Nate because the Holy Spirit didn't tell me to do that. <laughs> well, my name is Kyle, <laughs> and I'm the youth and young adult pastor here. So if you're a youth, middle school, high school, young adult, and you're not married yet, come talk to me anytime. Doors always open. Text messages are always open. Phone calls always open. Talk to me. Talk to Brooke. We love you. 23 months ago to the day, I married Brooke, and other than accepting Jesus, the best decision of my life, and I thought of, yay, where is Brooke, by the way? She's out in the lobby, okay, she's with our little baby girl, Lane, who's six months old, and also just super duper joy, but I thought of Psalm 23.6, it being the 23rd month of our marriage, and just this promise at the last verse of Psalm 23. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So over these last 23 months, goodness and mercy have followed Brooke. Like at the end of every day, no matter what happened, that's what I remember when I think of Brooke and I think of our marriage, is these two things, these two realities, the goodness of the Lord and bringing us together and keeping us together and keeping us growing and the mercy of the Lord, that no matter what happened on that day, good, bad, ugly, we nailed it, or like it was, was not the best day. Goodness and mercy is what I remember 
when I go to sleep every night. It's just this promise is true for every married couple, every husband and wife. Goodness and mercy is promised from the Lord. The actual Hebrew here speaks of, it gives a picture of these two realities, hunting the person down. So you can picture like two angels running behind your marriage. One of them's named goodness and the other's named mercy. (laughs) So whenever you need to call on these two realities in your marriage, call on them. You will experience them. Ask God to help you experience his goodness and his mercy. Invite them. Welcome them. Expect to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in your union. So Nate did a pretty good job of celebrating marriage and celebrating the aspect of cherishing our wives. And I had a point on that, but I'm going to go ahead and just skip straight to the third practical point today. And it's wash with the water of the word. Wash with the water of the word. That's a lot of W's. There's four W's. So like www dot, when you're on the internet, think of this command as four W's, www, period. <laughs> Thank you, Rachel. So Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So there's a command there that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So with this verse 25, backing up to 25, Paul is telling, just as Nate said, every husband here, whatever Jesus does for the church at large, he wants you specifically to do for your wife. Whatever Jesus does for the individual believer, he wants you to do the same thing, to act just like he acts, with every believer, he wants you to act that way with your wife. It's so simple. And then in verse 26, he goes on to give the first specific example of this outworking, of something that he does for us individually. Jesus washes us with the water of his word every single day. Even if we choose not to listen, he's always speaking to us. He's always trying to encourage us in who we are and how loved we are, how accepted we are. And when we open the Bible, we can, we can see the written word of God speaking to our hearts But he's also speaking to our hearts if we just listen. We say, God, what are you saying over me? So Jesus is constantly washing us with the water of his word. As husbands, we should follow that example and wash our wives with the water of his word over them. We're to do the same thing. So the command to husbands, real simple. The point for us right there in the middle of verse 26. Wash our wives with the water of the word. The point on your paper here is... Read the word of God out loud over your wife. So you can write it in there. Read the word of God out loud over your wife. Picture yourself being like Niagara Falls and your wife is at the bottom. When you read the words of of life over her, good things are going to happen. We're going to look at some of those good things. The word there for word in verse 26 is the Greek word rhema. There's two words for word in in the New Testament. One of them is rhema, one of them is logos. Not going to super nerd out on you, but rhema basically, if you boil it down, it means the spoken word, the now word of God. So this makes it clear that we are to speak the word of God out loud in her hearing. And I want to just give you all some practical examples of how Brooke and I do it in our marriage. Right now, we, we decided to pick a book of the Bible and just go through it together. And so simply, we both have our, our paper Bible. We'll sit across from each other. I'll read a verse. She'll read a verse. I'll read a verse. She'll read a verse. And we'll just go back and forth with kind of yo-yo. So right now we're in the book of Hebrews. And like last Monday we sat on our 
a patio upstairs and we just sat across from each other and just read the word of God over each other. This is such a super simple point. We have the word of God on our phones. We have paper Bibles. And I can't tell you just the blessing of, of sitting across from your wife and letting God's words, written words, speak over one another. It's such a blessing. So that's what we're doing right now. We pick a book and we just read it back and forth over each other. And I just want to give you all a challenge to challenge us at any time over the next few years, however long you're with us at River in the Hills, come up to us at any time and ask me or ask Brooke, hey, what book of the Bible are you reading with Kyle right now? <laughs> or come up to me, what book of the Bible are you reading with Brooke right now? I want to be held accountable to this reality that we should be specifically growing together in a, in a specific book of the Bible. Now, each, each one of us, Brooke and I, we both have other books of the Bible that we're going through just on our own time. When I'm here at the church or when she's alone with Lane, she has books that, are, that God's speaking to her that she should go and read. But together, there should be an individual book that you, you would go over together. So you're growing in the same truths together. You're on the same page spiritually with the Word of God. We also, outside of that kind of scheduled or more uh, formal way of going through a book together, in lulls throughout our days, times where there's not a pressing need, there's not the busyness, uh, lulls in our busy days, we'll, we'll pause and we'll pull out our Bible app on our phone. And we did it yesterday. We, were, we went hiking at Pernalis Falls State Park over near Blanco. And we just had a great day hiking, beautiful, enjoying the creation. And we got down to the Pernalis River, just a beautiful spot. I jumped in because I like to take ice baths. It makes my muscles feel good after the water was so cold, by the way. Brooke is on the, the banks of the river feeding Lane like a true pioneer woman. <laughs> and I'm in there like, Rah! in the cold water. and <laughs> More like, yeah, I was screaming, kind of like, a, I was screaming like Lane almost because it was so cold, but it felt awesome after. So after we got, after I got out of the water, I got on the banks. She's just looking beautiful with baby Lane. And we had a Bible in our, in our backpack that we packed, a paper Bible, which I love. And I said, we should, we should read a psalm together. And as soon as I said that, I heard Psalm 98 in my heart. So we just opened up the Passion Translation. I read Psalm 98 over my baby girl and my wife, and it, it connected our hearts instantly back to that vital, like 100% relationship with the Spirit of God, the Word of God. And there was, that psalm was actually specifically speaking about nature responding to the goodness and glory of God. And it actually said that the rivers would clap their hands at the appearing of the Lord. <laughs> like they're going to celebrate. And I, I mentioned it in a message months ago. But we're looking at this beautiful spring-fed river. I'm like, this river's going to clap its hands at the coming of the Lord. It's going to, I don't know how it's going to look, but it's going to do it. So God wanted us to, to teach us that reality that all of creation responds, not just people, to the goodness of the Lord. So we have a scheduled book that we're going through right now. I hope to always have that. If you come up to us and we're not going through a book, we'll feel really bad about it as pastors, and we'll make sure by the end of the day to pick a book that we'll go together <laughs> through. Lulls in our busy days. Another example of that was we ordered barbecue last night on our way in, and from Schmidt's Barbecue over in Bee Cave, I pulled up to Schmidt's Barbecue, and I just wanted a refreshment of the Word of God, so I said, Brooke, read Hebrews 4 over me before I go in. <laughs> Brooke, read Hebrews 4 over me before I go in and make this transaction for barbecue. That's how desperate I am for God's presence, his word. It's so much better than, than anything else. It's not like we're so holy. It's just better. It's better than listening to political radio. 
it's better than listening to like whatever's on there. It's just so good. It's just good stuff. And so Brooke read Hebrews 4. I was just getting touched by God. And then I went in and got the barbecue. Nothing crazy happened. Um, but the barbecue was really good. So it tasted better because we had just tasted the good fruit of the word of God. <laughs> On road trips in the car, we do it as well. And so like, it, especially a long road trip, um, if I'm driving, she's going to be doing the one, she's going to be the one reading the word of God. Um, we listen to the audio Bible as well. <laughs> she reads or we play the audio Bible. So we're just constantly washing each other in the water of the word. Um, when we're at a restaurant, we'll do that thing where we say, let's, let's pick a number between 1 and 150. That's how many psalms there are. 1 and 150. And let's, let's try to hear God. I didn't even ask yesterday when I opened up or when I said we should read the psalms. I just heard it instantly. But a lot of times we'll just ask the Holy Spirit, what should we read? And he'll speak a number between 1 and 150. We'll, we'll feel something, and it's going to be good because it's the word of God. Uh, the proverb of the day, there's 31 proverbs, 31 days in most months. You always have the proverb to read. So when we're at a restaurant and we've kind of, uh, we don't have pressing stuff to talk about or we just start hungry for the word, we'll do that. So like I mentioned a few examples before, uh, we'll practice listening to the Holy Spirit as it relates to the written word of God. And I just want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit really loves the Bible. He really loves the word of God. He inspired it. He's proud of his work. Ask him what you should read. If you don't know what book you should read as a husband over your wife, ask him. Whatever impression you get, it's going to be good. He loves to talk about the written word because he inspired the men who wrote it. He almost always speaks when we ask him what we should read. But like I mentioned before, how Jesus is constantly speaking over us, even if we're not listening. He's constantly telling us who we are. Brooke and I also like to do this exercise. It's related to washing with the water of the word, but it's related to the idea of rhema, where we speak the now word of God. What is God saying specifically over you as my wife or Brooke on the other side? What is God speaking specifically over you, Kyle? What, are the, what is the phrase in his heart over you that needs to recenter you to your identity with him? And so we'll just sit and, and quiet and say, God, what are you saying? Speak a phrase, show a picture, a simple word. What are you saying over us? So last week I did this. She was in the other room, but I was reading the, the Bible, and it's got that urge to, to get the now word of God for her. And I heard the phrase that Brooke is a champion in love. A champion lover or a champion in love, meaning that her love for God and other people has caused her to be victorious. She has overcome. She's a champion because she has chosen to receive the love of God and give it to other people. So I was like, Brooke, you're a champion in love. <laughs> you're a champion in love. And I don't care how she was feeling at that moment. She felt better, I'm sure, after hearing that she's a champion in love. She was doing great. She was doing greater. <laughs> she was not doing great. She was to a place of identity again. So that's that first point. Wash with the water of the word, www. Here's the results. And I'll go through them quick. First result, faith comes. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing with your ear and hearing by the word of Christ. So faith instantly comes. I don't, know, I don't care where our faith level is at. It's always increased when we read the word of God over each other. We're always more encouraged. We're always more full of faith. Now results two through eight on your little notes here. There's eight results. These are all directly from this passage in Ephesians 5, directly from the word of God. It's the result of being washed with the water of the word of Jesus. 
So result number two, it causes sanctification. So when I read over her, it sets her apart from the world. It'll really cause your wife to stand out from the crowd. She'll be sanctified, set apart. That's what that word means. You want to... Well, you might not want this as husbands, do you, but do you want people to turn their heads when, you're, when your wife is walking down the street? Spiritually speaking, people will recognize your wife like as someone who, who has had the word of God read over her, someone who's full of faith. She's going to look different when you read the word of God over her. Third result, cleansing. So on the days that you read the word of God over your wife, she doesn't need to take a shower. Just kidding. No. There's inward cleansing that naturally comes with the word of God. The word is pure. More pure than silver tried seven times. It naturally cleanses us from things that we don't even know are there. So there's an inward cleansing, a purifying effect. Fourth result, she will be made glorious. She will radiate the light and the glory of Jesus as you read the word of God over her. That's real similar to sanctification. She's going to turn heads. Fifth, spots will be removed. The water of God's word is the ultimate instant spot removal. Take that, Neutrogena, instant spot removal for acne. But what do spots really mean here? Well, think of a leopard for a second. Did that leopard choose to be born with those spots? Did that leopard do anything bad to pick up those spots when he or she was born? No, that leopard was born with those spots. So spiritually, the spots that this verse is talking about are those inherent negative things that, are, that our wives might have been born into. Natural predispositions from generations before them. Natural predispositions to anger, depression, anxiety. Any of those negative things. Even generational curses that our wives might have been born into. Those are like spots. Sometimes people are born into rough families. Well, here's the promise. God's word has the power to remove those spots. To make our wives pure, spotless. Only the blood of Jesus and only the water of God's words can heal our wives from those predispositions. They mean nothing to God when you hold them up against their words. Sixth benefit, wrinkles are removed. No wrinkle. (laughs) This sounds like a cosmetic recipe right here, doesn't it? But there are spiritual undertones here. So the water of God's word, it's the real wrinkle-removing substance in your marriage, not some $200 cream. Now think about it for a second. What causes wrinkles? Stress. Thank you. His word brings peace in the place of stress, which removes wrinkles physically from their face, but also the spiritual wrinkles, that stress that they carry around on the inside. So think of this water of God's word removing stress from your wife's inner life and even outward representation. So whenever you're about to get ready to to read the word over here, say, Think of a, a clothes steamer where you turn it on and all the steam starts coming out, and like within a few minutes, it it de-wrinkles the clothes. So you say, wife, come get steamed with the word of God. Wife, come get steamed. The wrinkles will be removed. Seventh, she'll be made holy. Same idea as sanctification. She's going to turn heads. She's going to be different. And eight, the blemishes. The blemishes speak of those things that your wife has picked up along the way. The negative things, just being in this, the general wear and tear of this life, things that she's picked up along the way. Blemishes are those bad things. The bruises, the junk, the history. But just like the spot removal, there's great rejuvenation and restoration in the word of God. 
So husbands, don't deprive your wife of the water of God's word. It's better than any blemish-removing cream. Make her brand new. So shifting gears now, the last point before we invite our wives up for the questions is willingness to yield. Willingness to yield. Husbands need to be willing to yield to their wife's desires. James 3.17 says this. It says, but the wisdom that is from above, from heaven, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, while each of these eight qualities and descriptions of this wisdom from above are amazing and should be applied and incorporated to every relationship, I want to hone in on that fourth aspect of the eightfold description here as it relates to husbands and wives, this phrase, willing to yield. Now, what does yield mean? I always think of a yield sign in traffic. Yield sign means to give the right of way to the other drivers. It means to let them go, to give up your right to go before them. Well, in relationships, yielding means to give someone else preference, to let someone else's desire win out over yours, to let the other person go ahead and have the right of way. So again, yielding is a good practice in all relationships. It is truly wisdom from above that can apply to your coworkers, friends, and that person trying to beat you out in the line at HEB. Let them go. <laughs> but this practice of yielding is especially important in the context of marriage. How do I know this? First Peter 3, 7 makes it really explicitly clear. Husbands, this is what it says. Husbands, First Peter 3, 7. It'll be up there. Okay. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So Peter is basically telling me here as a husband, Kyle, be happy that you have the grace of life. Be happy that you have health. Be happy that you're alive. Be happy that you're actually going to participate in heaven forever with eternal life. You're going to have everything anyways with Jesus. Don't worry about these little trivial minute matters that you have a preference over right now. You're an heir together of the grace of life with your wife. Don't worry about the little things. Give honor to her. That means give preference. Let her choice win out. That's what Peter's saying. He's like, also, Kyle, do you want your prayers? As a prayer room coordinator, do you want your prayers to be answered? Give honor to your wife. <laughs> when you don't give honor to your wife, your prayer life's going to be hindered. So husbands, a great way to honor our wives is to let her choose things, to yield to her when she has a desire to do something. What restaurant, what movie we watch, where to eat, what we read, how we want to spend our free nights and free days, let her have that choice. Also, even in, if you have kids, yield to your wife and how she raises the little ones especially. God has made them especially with unique gifts, even that intuition from a mother. Let her Raise your little ones how God is leading her to do that. Even yielding on, on your schedule, how time looks, those 50-50 options on how your schedule should look, how much ministry or how much service you want to do, yield to her. And when it's a more serious matter, which we'll talk about in the first question in just a minute, like buying a car, buying a house, or giving to others financially, yield to her if she has concerns. She doesn't have peace. She has reservations. Yield to that. Or on the flip side, if she has strong, positive feelings or emotions about a purchase, yield to her with that. Go for it if it's financially doable. Guys, our wives are crazy smart. If you're married in here, turn to your wife and say, you are crazy smart. Brooke, you're crazy smart. They have actually been equipped 
and built into this relationship to be a natural check and balance against the man's natural bent to be like Rambo in every situation, just go for it. God has put them in our lives as a compliment to actually be like a natural check and balance, like our judiciary system and executive and legislative. So if you're taking notes, last point here. As a default, yield to your wife's preference or choice in things that aren't a matter of God's direct will. That last part's important. And things that aren't a matter of God's direct will. To say it another way, yield to her in things that aren't in opposition to your personal conscience regarding a sin against God. Or saying it yet another way, yield to her in things that would, wouldn't be going against the direct wisdom of God leading your marriage as you lead your wife. So yield her in things that wouldn't be going against the direct wisdom of God. So for example, if Brooke came to me and said, Kyle, I want to buy a brand new Range Rover. Let's go for it. I would say, well, the direct wisdom of God in me leading our marriage right now is for us to save a little bit of money so soon we can have our own house. So that would be going against it. And so I wouldn't say yes to that. Or an example of going against uh, the sin against God would be if Brooke came up to me real excited and said, Kyle, we should start investing in Planned Parenthood here for the community like Travis. We need more options for women to seek an abortion. Clearly, that would be no. Could be, it'd be going against God's direct will. So yield to her when it, when it won't cause you to sin against God or your direct leadership and how you lead your family. Awesome. Wives, you can go ahead and come on up and, and sit down here as I wrap up the last point. Yes, you can. Husband Nate, you can come. Get up for Kaylee and Brooke. <laughs> so this is a big one. So in arguments and disagreements on this last point of willingness to yield, Husbands, yield to your wives as a default in arguments and disagreements. I would rather preserve the peace in our relationship than have to be right all the time. Give me peace over holding on so tightly to the pride of my opinion on trivial matters. It's not worth not having the peace. So Lord, help us as husbands to die to our fleshly opinions if they cause tension in our marriage. Husbands, I got this earlier this week. We're not married to our opinions. We're married to our wives and to Jesus. We're not married to our opinions. We're married to our wives. We're married to Jesus. So give me the bond of peace over winning a fleshly argument every day. So in this Q&A session, this is the hidden fifth point. It's the very fact that we are communicating with our wives. We're asking them questions. And we're going to do it in front of all you guys as an example <laughs> We're going to ask kind of personal questions, but it's an example for you. Communicate. Ask them questions. See how they're feeling. See what they mean when they say a certain thing. That's the biggest thing that I found with Brooke is I'll hear something one way, and I'll feel like there's a negative emotion attached to it, or she's hurt or disappointed with me. And then I'll actually, and I'll be hurt myself. And then I'll ask her, I was like, hey, what did you mean when you said this? Was there a negative tone behind that? She's like, no. It just needed to get done. <laughs> And like, I would, I'll, I'll be holding this resentment like when I didn't have to, if I would just ask her, how are you feeling? It's part of that emotional health. So we're, we're going to each ask our wife a question, then they're going to in turn ask us a question, and then we're going to close up. Thanks for bearing with us, guys. I hope you all have been encouraged. All right, Brooke, you're the first one up. You can go ahead and grab that mic. <laughs> Okay, Brooke, how have you felt most loved by me in our marriage regarding our finances, our financial decisions? How do you feel loved? When you that? buy me food. 
<laughs> and when you ask permission, <laughs> no, not just permit, like, so there's a couple of stories that are attached to this. When so I ask permission. Whenever, to ask permission. So, um, like six months into our marriage or less, I want to say, Kyle thought it was a good idea to give $300 to someone. Pretty much with, almost like, a stranger. Almost a stranger. I had never met them, never heard of them, and which is, can be great. But I, he, like, he like calls me and he's like, hey, just wanted you to know I just gave $300 to someone. I was like, what? I was really excited. I was bragging at my heart of generosity. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, why didn't you, like, call me first or, like, say, hey, is this good? And um, so we kind of came up with this little plan that if we are going to give to anyone, if we had like a $50 cap. And so like if we're going to give a gift, then there's a $50 cap. And so that has been so helpful. Um, but then also with bigger decisions like car buying and whatnot, because that's come up a couple times since we've been married, is to simply just like ask God first. <laughs> like, Lord, like, is this the car that you want us to have? Like, do you want us to spend this much for it? And uh, the very first time, we were considering buying a Prius. And I, like, was asking the Lord, like, Lord, do you want us to buy this Prius? And I firmly heard, you are not to buy that car. And I was like, okay. And then I heard it again, you're not to buy that car. I was like, oh, gosh. And Kyle was pretty gung-ho about the car. for, And so I was like... It was really practical. We were going to save, like, half monthly payments. We are going to save, like... <laughs> 80% on gas. Yeah. So I was, thought I was doing the right thing as I was. Yeah. And so I get, I get into our apartment and I'm like, Hey, so how are you feeling about that Prius? He was like, well, that's really funny that you asked. Cause this morning I, whenever I thought about the car, I heard no. And I was like, Oh, praise God. Cause, <laughs> cause, cause I, I told him like, I heard pretty firmly we're not supposed to get it. And so he was like, well, there we go. Like, and I was just like, so thankful that he was like asking the Lord even, like, he just opened the door for him to, like, give an answer, you know, to that circumstance, and and then again, just recently, we thought about it again, and I had, had no peace, like, at, at first, I was really excited about getting a certain car, and then all of a sudden, it turned to, like, I had, it, the peace was just withdrawn, and so um, I told Kyle about it, and he was like, no, like, I think we should, and so I was like, oh, man, kind of, like, torn inside, and then the next morning, the Lord had removed his peace, too, for it, so... I was just so thankful that he hears and feels like whenever like a decision is right or wrong. And so, yeah, just whenever your, your arms are open to hear, your, your mind is open to hear from the Lord. Yeah. And to trust you, yeah. And to trust me, too. Awesome. Thanks. All right, Brooke's going to ask me a question now. Oh, yes. Um, so my question to you is, what activity do you enjoy doing the most with me? So the most fun activity with you is... Clearly going hiking. So I love just experiencing uh, God's creation with you. I love that he gives us a palette. Whenever we go, wherever we go, he, he puts cool things in front of us. And we just, I love enjoying the creator with you. Like the creator God in nature with you. It's, it's peaceful. There's no one else around except baby Lane. But she's so cute. You can't get mad at her even if she's breaking the silence. I love, I love the simple things, just being with you, enjoying the, the outside together. God always amazes us with even something little, sim something simple like a little bird. <laughs> and then uh, just long road trips where we just hold hands. And even if it's silence, 
uh, or listening to sermons or worship or practicing hearing God for each other, just holding your hand on long road trips or outside. Agreed. Okay. My question to you is, what are some steps you took to learn more about how to meet your, uh, my physical, emotional, and spiritual needs? Well, uh, there were, there was some real, the first step was realizing that I didn't know how to do it. Um, and so that took a um, couple years and, uh, but, but really, uh, and some really frustrating conversations and like, why isn't this working? I thought I was better, um, communicator than this, but, um, I prayed a lot. I read a lot of books um, by guys that I really respected and I sought out advice from men who were, better at marriage than I was. So all of the ones that I sought out were older than me and had been married longer than me. Um, but now I, uh, I just told Kyle this week, I said, I, I've actually looked to Kyle for advice in certain areas in marriage. I've been married almost 12 years. He'd been married almost two years. So it's, it's not, it doesn't have to, you don't just have to look uphill. Um, you know, it can be a lateral, I mean, it, we, we learn from each other. So, yeah, but uh, the, the biggest thing was learning how to uh, come to you and ask questions and say, you know, wh- what about what I'm doing is making you upset? And then we would get to the bottom of a lot of things just by having healthy conversation. Even, even conversation that you're like, well, we shouldn't have to have this conversation. We've been married for so many years. And getting down to it and realizing that a lot of times when I get offended, I, I, it's because I felt disrespected at something she said or did, which usually she didn't intend at all. You, I mean, always she didn't intend to disrespect me, but I misunderstood. And so you actually, when you actually sit down and talk about those things, and you realize that um, you can learn in the conversation how to better, well, hopefully I'm better now at providing for your emotional needs than I was years ago. So... Yeah, that's, that's probably it. Oh, I'm asking other people for advice and wisdom is big. All right. Now I got a question for you. What, uh, what would you say are some of the key takeaways for the wives and women here today, um, just as it pertains to the message or like uh, marriages in general? I'm going to try to make it fast, but I have a couple things that I wanted to say. Um, to communicate your needs, um, you need to communicate what they actually are so that your husband actually knows <laughs> and has the opportunity to meet them. They can't read your mind. Even if it might seem obvious to you, it might not be obvious to them or really anyone around you. <laughs> um, to encourage him and make sure he knows that you see the effort he is putting in and the things that he is doing well. Um, encouragement always has good things to it, obviously. So um, pray for him. It's another obvious one. And then a big one, in my opinion, is to not speak disrespectfully about him, um, whether he's there or not, but especially when he's not, just to always speak um, with honor, always speak honor um, over him and uh, to other people. And, yeah, those are the main things. That's good. Um and thank you for doing that. Kaylee does that really well. She's never thrown me under the bus, and I really, and I deserve to be under there sometimes. And, <laughs> and she, uh, she always, she practices what she just preached. So, but one more question for Kaylee and Brooke. You guys can take turns answering these. If you could leave all of the younger and single, younger and more single women, um, 
here today with one sentence of advice or one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? You can go first, Kaylee. See you on the mic. Yeah, but anyways, um, don't settle. God loves to give good gifts to his kids. He loves to give above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. It sounds familiar. So be patient, pray, um, work on yourself, because being a good wife, it does take a lot of work, um, and don't settle. Um, God is a really good matchmaker, mm. and so allowing him to speak to you about who that person is, um, he will not steer you the wrong way. And um, yeah, I heard someone say, like, don't marry someone else's husband. I was like, dang. (laughs) (laughs) No, but really, like, the Lord is a really good matchmaker, and he loves you so much, and he already has the perfect uh, mate for you. And um, so, yeah, and then just continue to listen to him throughout the time of dating and um, even engagement and whatnot. Like, he he loves to speak to you, and yeah. That's good. Thank you guys very much. Would you all stand? Thanks for bearing with us. We went a little long this morning. We're going to do something as we close. The worship team's going to play, and uh, Brooke and I, or or (laughs) Kyle and I, and Brooke and Kaylee um, are going to be up here along with a few others from our our prayer team, and um, we want to just pray specifically. You're you're welcome to come for prayer for anything. We're going to, you know, dial down any need, any thing that you want somebody to pray with you for, please come up. But specifically, I just want to call out, we we would love to pray for health in marriages, spiritual health, physical health, communicate, like healthy communication. I don't care how long you've been married. Uh, We'd love to pray for you if you're considering getting married, if you have a desire to be married, because it's a great, it's a great, great thing that the Lord has has given us marriage. So um, I'm very thankful to be married. And uh, anyways, so as we close today, I want to encourage you married people go be a marriage missionary okay let your marriage preach and wherever you're at okay when you're in the grocery store when you're at work when you're at a family reunion in front of your kids especially let your marriage speak the truth of Jesus to people around you by the way that you treat each other by the way that you love each other by the way that you build each other up okay all right love you guys father thank you for for today God thank you for marriage Thank you for uh, our wives, our husbands, God, just the, the, the connectivity that we have be, because of you. Brooke said it. You put these things together. Even your word says Math, Matthew uh, 19.6 or something. What God has joined together, let no man separate. I thank you, God, that you are a joiner together of, of husbands and wives, God. And we give you glory today. And as we go out from this place today, Father... We look to be the hands and feet of Jesus in everything that we do and everywhere we go and everything we say. But God, especially this week, for those of us that are married, God, may our marriages preach. May our marriages be an example that help turn lives around. Father, thank you for health and marriages. Thank you for how you're going to move. We love you, Jesus. Amen.